mindful of this year. And he, for a lack of a, a better title, called it um, Minding the One, and being, being conscious of who we can reach out to this year. And so he read several passages, one of which he read was pretty much all of Luke chapter 15, some very, very, very familiar parables. And so this morning for a few minutes, I actually want to revisit Luke chapter 15, and I will go ahead and do the scriptures. And I want to read a story that is familiar probably to most, if not all of us. And we're jumping in the middle of Luke chapter 15. And this is the third parable Jesus told and this, give you context again, he had gone and he was eating a meal at tax collector's house. Some of these dirty sinners, these people that the righteous Pharisees and other religious leaders were wondering, why on earth would you go and eat with people like that? And so Jesus responded to them, and he began to tell stories. And so he told three different stories, and the first one is found or excuse me, the third one, probably the one that's most familiar to us, is what we call the story of the prodigal son. And I'm not even going to read the whole story this morning because I want to highlight something that's in this story. And it says, to illustrate the point further. So he's already done two other parables to get his point across. But just in case they missed it, he's going to tell one more story. And this is going to be the most complex, the most involved of the stories. And this has died on me, which, of course, it would. So slides, I apologize. A.V., will you go ahead and advance slides, and I'll just tell you to go <laughs> to the next scripture. So verse 12, telling this story about this prodigal son. He told a story about a, a young man, and he comes to his father, and he says, I want your share, I want my share, excuse me, of your estate now before you die which is a crazy thing. Um, I don't know how I would respond if one of my children came to me as a young adult and said, you know what, Dad? Someday you're going to die, and I know that you and Mom are going to leave me some money, and I've decided that I want it now. I'm not going to wait till you're dead. So just give it to me right now, and I'll be on my way. That would not go over in the Lugo household. Not that I think any of my children would do that. They're all grinning at me right now because they know this would not ever happen. And guess what? In Jesus' day, this would not ever happen. He was telling a crazy story on purpose to get their attention. So this young man comes to his father and he says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So you're waiting for the punchline, and then Jesus does something crazy. He says, so his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. You can go to the next verse. <clears throat> and a few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings, and he moved off to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. It doesn't take very long to waste things. So this son is making very, very bad choices. And he moves off somewhere far, far away, and he wastes it on wild living. And you can go to the next slide. And about the time his money ran out, of course, right? About the time his money ran out, not, not before, not while he was having fun, but about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and... He began to starve. 
And this is serious. There's no food bank in the ancient world. There's no social program. When famine hits and there's no water, crops don't grow. And when crops don't grow, you have a little bit set aside, but not a whole lot. And so famine is something that sounds inconvenient to us. Famine in the ancient world meant death. People starved to death in famines. There's no food. There's no government assistance program. When the food runs out, you die. And about this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And you can go to the next slide. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, which in and of itself probably took some begging. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And keep in mind, Jesus is telling this to a Jewish audience, so this is extremely dirty and nasty. These are dirty animals. We have nothing to do with them. And this young man is so desperate to stay alive that he's willing to go work for a farmer and feed pigs. And you can go to the next slide. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding these pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. He is so desperately hungry that the leftover rotten trash that they feed the pigs is now starting to look appealing because he has nothing. But no one gave him anything. And I love this verse. When he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. At some point, this boy, because he's not acting like a man. At some point, this boy wakes up and he realizes I am starving to death. I am going to die if I stay right here. This will be the end of me. And that home I left in some faraway distant land. Even the people who work for my daddy have it much better than I do. Just the workers have enough food to spare. And here I am, the son of that father. And I am starving to death. I am going to die of hunger if I don't change something about my situation. He had finally come to his senses. And you can go to the next one. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he decides, if I can just get home, anything's better than this. If I can just get home, I don't have to be restored to what I once was. But if I can just get home, anything is better than this. I will take whatever he will give me. And go to the next verse. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He had probably rehearsed this several times in his head. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. 
you understand the young man is barefoot at this point. He has nothing left. His clothes are probably threadbare. He's nasty. He stinks. He's dirty. He's muddy. He's probably gaunt and thin and does not look healthy anymore. He doesn't look like he once did. You don't leave and come home the same way you left. Everything's gone. He's on the verge of death. But he makes it home. And father is celebrating. And he says to the servant, kill the calf that we have been fattening. And we must celebrate with a feast. And the last verse, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party, the celebration began. And the story goes on from there. And I'm not going to read the rest of the story because that's not where I'm focusing this morning. Our pastor was talking about being mindful of the one, and he gave three different parables, and this was the third one. And this morning, I want to come back to this parable, because there are two verses. Can you go back to verse 17? Two verses that really, really stick out to me, at least this week as I was rereading this. When he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses. And then in verse 20, he returned home to his father. When he finally came to his senses, he returned home to his father. And so this morning, I want to preach just for a few minutes. And you can go ahead and put up my title slide. It's a simple message this morning. But I feel that somebody needs to hear this, whether it's here in this room or if you're online watching us. I want to talk a few minutes about repentance this morning. I want to talk just a few minutes about repentance Because every one of us, at some point, has to wake up and come to our senses. And every one of us, at some point, has to return home. And for some people, they may be lost and not realize it. And they don't know what they're doing. And they don't even know how to get home. But for someone, and I suspect it's someone listening to me today, you do know how to get home. You do know where you've come from. And life is screaming at you that things are terrible and they're not the way they should be, and you are spiritually starving to death. And God is saying, when you come to your senses, if you will return home to me, I'll take care of you. Every one of us must find a place of repentance. Every one of us, there's a reason for that road sign, because in essence, that's what repentance is. At some point, we all have to turn around. Sometimes I think we make repentance more difficult than it needs to be. And we often do it in our mind. And we make it into some huge, laborious process. And this thing like this grudgery that we've got to grind our way through. Repentance means to turn around. If I am walking this direction and I decide to repent, I do this number. Wasn't that difficult? Watch, I'll do it again just in case you missed how impressive this is. You ready? I just turned around. One more time, just for show. Now I'm bragging. See me turn around? I'm being silly, but are you getting the point? This doesn't have to be difficult. Sometimes we make it difficult. And the longest distance, I felt this in prayer this morning. Somebody needs to hear this. The longest distance that you are going to travel is about six inches from here to here. It's right here. And we get stuck in our head. 
And we think that this process is somehow far more complicated than it needs to be. And you're watching me do it right here. You turn around. Repentance doesn't have to be complicated. We make it complicated. Repentance doesn't revolve around some long, lengthy process of penance. Don't confuse the two. The biblical command is repentance. God says, turn around. Come back towards me. Go read the story again. It says, while he was still a long way off, that father was looking for him. When he came to his senses and decided to go home, daddy was waiting. And it involves turning around. And repentance is something that we all need to come to. And I'm going to get to all of us in just a moment. So before you tune me out or you think, all right, Brother Desi's talking to somebody else this morning. Boy, that person really needs to get their act together. Oh, just wait. You're in the same boat. I'm going to get to you. By the way, I'm in the same boat too. We're all in this same boat. Because repentance is not a one-time thing. So let's go through just a couple things that we need to learn. Number one, repentance is the act of turning around. So don't make this more difficult than it needs to be. You're headed one direction and you decide, I am not going that way anymore. At some point, that boy was starving to death and he's looking at these nasty, dirty animals that he's not even supposed to be anywhere around and the rotten scraps that they're eating is better than his own situation. And he realizes, he comes to his senses, I don't have to live like this. I don't have to keep traveling in this same direction. When he came to his senses, he went back to his father. So the first point to remember, it involves turning around. And the longest distance some of us have to travel is from here to here. It's between our ears. We get stuck in our head thinking that this is so much more than it has to be. But while he was still a long way off, the father was looking for him. You have to make the first step. You have to turn around and decide, I am not going to live like this anymore. But then your heavenly father will meet you. He is not going to make you walk miles and miles and miles and miles before you come in contact with him. But you have to turn around. Second point about repentance. And this boy had to be brought really low before he'd get here. But the thing with repentance and turning around is that you have to lay down your own stubborn, foolish pride. You cannot repent and still act like you're in control. You cannot repent. I will, Arash. You cannot repent and act like you are still in control. You cannot really repent and act like you've got it all together. Why would you turn around if you've got it all together? If you know what you're doing and you're confident where you're headed, you don't need to repent. But if at some point you come to your senses and you realize, I don't want to live like this, then guess what? You need help. I'll let you in on a secret. We all need help. It's just, are we willing to set down our pride and say, I need that help? In order to repent, you have to turn around. In order to repent, you got to lay down your pride. That's why that hardest distance to travel is often right here, just in our head. Let me read you another scripture. Can you go to James 4.10? <laughs> James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. This is one of those weird inverse things that happens in Christianity. 
Christian life is full of all kinds of things that are flipped on their head. And James reminds his readers of this one. If you will humble yourself, if you will lay down that pride, it's God who will pick you up. And when God picks you up, you will stand taller than you've ever stood. And so part of repentance is you've got to lay down your pride. You cannot turn around. You cannot really repent if you insist that you're okay. If you insist that you've got it together and that you know what you're doing, you must humble yourself. You must humble yourself. But it's that simple. If you will decide, I don't want to live like this anymore, whoever I'm speaking to, whether you're new to this Christianity or you've been serving God for a while and now you've just made some bad choices and you feel like you're drifting away, wherever you find yourself, You've got to at some point decide, I don't want to live like this. This is not where I want to be headed. And so you decide to turn around. And he will meet you when you turn around and take that first step. And you got to put down your pride. And you got to be willing to admit that I need help. I cannot do this by myself. And this is just one example. There's plenty of scriptures in the Bible that talk about this idea of humbling yourself. And James is reminding his readers in James chapter 4, verse 10, that if you will humble yourself, if you will admit, I need help, I cannot do this by myself. Heavenly Father, forgive me. Help me. He will meet you. While that boy was still a long way off, Daddy was looking. And by the way, it wasn't a quick, go grab something out of the field. We need to get a meal together. He said, kill the calf that we have been fattening. He had been setting aside something. He had been waiting. He had been feeding this animal, getting it ready for a celebration, getting it ready for a party. Whether it was for the boy or it was for something else, when that young man came home, daddy was ready to celebrate. It didn't surprise daddy. It wasn't caught off guard. And he said, tomorrow we'll do something. He said, no, now we're going to clean you up. Now we're going to change your stature. Now we're going to put shoes back on your feet. Now we're going to give you a ring. I'm going to restore you now. We are going to celebrate now. If you will turn around, if you will head back towards him and put down your pride and admit that you need help and actually repent, not just a verbal proclamation, but begin to change your actions. God says, I'll meet you there. You'll humble yourself before me. I will lift you up and I will celebrate with you and I will help you through this. Repentance does not have to be difficult. We are the ones who make it difficult. So three things. Number one, you got to turn around. Number two, you got to lay down your pride. And then number three, and this is where it hits all of us, repentance is not, hear me, it is not a one-time act. You don't repent once and get right with God. It becomes a lifestyle. That first time may be the most drastic turn. You may be walking away from some things in a lifestyle and saying, I'm not living that way anymore. But guess what? Every one of us makes mistakes. Every one of us continues to fail. I can point you to plenty of scriptures. I don't have them in my slides, but Romans 3.23 is a great example. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. 
We all fail. We all need God to save us. And we need him to do it over and over and over and over again. So if you are hearing me today, so that should include all of us. If you are hearing me today, you're in the same boat. Because we don't have to course correct one time. We have to continue to do it. We continue to make corrections. We make mistakes. We are broken human beings. Welcome to the club. And so repentance doesn't just happen once. Repentance is not that thing that happens to that dirty person who needs to get right with God. (sighs) Look at them. Their life is really messed up. They need Jesus. And there are people like that. And the more time I spend on the East Coast and East Coast traffic, the more I think they need Jesus. Because I was not raised here. And there are times when I just take a deep breath and calm down and say out loud, I am not going to get angry. I am not going to respond. I do not live that way. And keep going. And there are lots of people who need Jesus. And it's really, really easy to look at somebody else and go, they need Jesus. And if we're being fair, probably all of us have had those moments. You may have had one of those moments this week where you were looking at somebody and you thought, they need Jesus. Guess what, my brothers and sisters? We need Jesus. And we constantly need Jesus. And there are course corrections that we have to make. It's not a one-time thing. Repentance becomes a lifestyle. And the crazy thing about repentance is it's so simple and easy that we often take it for granted. And I will speak for myself, but I am absolutely confident I'm speaking for probably almost every one of us. The longer you serve God, sometimes the harder it gets to repent. Because they become little things, and we can justify them. And I've got a bad attitude, and I snapped at my wife. Or I'm frustrated that day. So I vent my anger and I say something stupid or fill in the blank some other thing. And it's like, well, I'm not out getting drunk and I'm not out partying and I'm not. It doesn't matter. It's still wrong. Wrong is wrong is wrong. That's a different sermon for another morning. But I can point you to plenty of scriptures in that. Doesn't matter if it's here or here or here. It's still wrong. It's still sin. And so God says, you've got to make that right. And sometimes I make dumb choices because I'm being selfish. And you fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. And you do something you know is wrong. Because you choose to. And all of a sudden you're confronted with your own humanity once again. And your own brokenness. And now you've got to make a decision all over again. And you have to choose to repent. And sometimes, I'll be fair, sometimes it's more difficult for those of us who have been serving God for any greater length of time to say, I am wrong. Father, I need your help. I need you. But God calls all of us to it. To repent, you have to turn around. To repent, you got to lay down that pride. And to repent, you've got to make it a lifestyle. It's not something you do one time. It's something that you do repeatedly over and over and over. It becomes a lifestyle. It's not something that you can do once and then be right with God. It's something we continually do. But there's something purifying about it. There's something 
spiritual, very spiritual and holistic about it, that when we repent, when we're willing to do it, even those of us who have been serving God for some length of time, it's like a breath of fresh air spiritually. It's like a good, long, hot shower after a long, rough, dusty day. And we just need it. We need it more than we realize. And God calls us to it. And it doesn't matter if you're a long way off or you're just around the corner. We make mistakes. And we need God to help us course correct and get our attention once again. Well, Brother Desi, I'm not sure I know how to repent. I'm not sure I know what to say. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes the biggest distance is from right here to here. We make it more than it needs to be in our head. It's as simple as saying, I am wrong. I'm sorry. I need your help. Now, it can be more than that. But as long as you are able to talk to God and you sincerely mean it and you can say, I am wrong and I'm sorry and I, I need your help. Help me to change then you can do it. And if you want it to sound more than that, right, and you, and you feel like that's not adequate, we have examples in Scripture. Probably the most, um, the greatest example, I'll put it that way, of repentance that we see in Scripture as far as a prayer is found in the book of Psalms. And you can go ahead and go to my last set of Scriptures. And this is found in Psalm 51, and I'm getting ready to close. I told you this was simple this morning. I was not going to take that long. Psalm 51, very, very famous psalm. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So here David is in a position of powerful leadership, most powerful man in his nation. He's king. And the prophet comes to him and says, you're the man. And he calls him on the carpet. And David can bow up and say, I'm the king, nobody tells me what to do. David could order Nathan's execution if he so felt like it. He'd pay for it later, but he could have done that. But David humbles himself, and he admits that he's wrong, and he lays down his pride, and he repents. And not only does he repent, he pins a song, or he pins a psalm, and it's been preserved for us in Scripture. And as you stand with me, I was thinking about it. We're going to do something we don't practice that often in Pentecost. We're going to do a public reading of Scripture together. Now, the last couple verses of this psalm, we'll read it just so we read the whole thing. He begins to turn his attention towards the nation and God's restoration of the nation. He is king, so he's thinking not only of himself for the impact of his sin as it is on that nation. And in just a moment, after we read this psalm, I'm going to invite everyone to pray. Whether you pray in your pew or you come down here, all of us need to repent. And whether you feel like you're a long way off, and this is a long time coming, or you're thinking, I'm not doing too bad right now. This is a lifestyle choice. Hopefully it's something that we learn to do on a daily basis. And so if you will go and begin the psalm, you can put it up on the screen. And let's just read it out loud together, publicly, as an act of confession. I would encourage you, whether we're reading out of the New Living Translation, it doesn't have to be this translation at home, read this psalm over and over. Begin to internalize it. There are some great phrases in here. One of my favorites, this is an easy one to pray, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's King James. Every day, we need to be talking to God and say, God, create in me a clean heart. God, I, I need you to touch me. I need you to change me. Let's read this together. 
Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. No excuses. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your way to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth will praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a what? A broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Can we take a moment? Heavenly Father, as we get ready to spend time in prayer with you for just a few minutes, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I pray that the words of Psalm 51 begin to resonate in our hearts. Oh, Jesus, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. I need you to purify me. I need you to cleanse me collectively as a church body. We need you. Jesus, we need you to wash away the stains of our guilt and our mistake. We need you to create clean hearts in us and make us right with you. Yes, Jesus, and now I encourage you. We've prayed publicly and we've read a psalm publicly. Can we take a few minutes now as individuals, whether you come down to the front, 
And I welcome you to come down here if you want to pray in this area or you want to pray in your pews. It's a simple prayer, but it's something that we all need to do and we need to do it regularly. Can we spend time repenting? Wherever we're at in our walk with God, if this is new to you and you want somebody to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. If you've been serving God for a long time, can you walk that dusty road once again wherever you find yourself? And just spend a few minutes saying, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew that right spirit in me. Purge me and cleanse me. Make me right before you. Wash away my guilt, Jesus.